All right, notice with me Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So those who are disciples of Christ must also be disciple makers. Huh? If we're following the Lord, we will also lead others to the Lord. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we're not actively seeking to save the lost with the gospel, then you have to question, are we really following him? Because he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And some of you look a little disappointed. No, I'm going to teach on this subject until you start doing it. I'm going to teach on this subject until I light a fire in you. And when you wake up in the morning, you say, preach the gospel. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Come on, young people. Why are you here? Can I get an amen? So it's not only our duty and our privilege, it is our joy. It is our joy to share this good news with others. Now, you've been a Christian for some time. Some of you have been Christians since the rest of us were knee-high to a grasshopper. You've been around the block many times now. How can you increase your joy? How can you increase your joy? Well, maybe I need to go to a new conference. Maybe I need to hear some new thing. No, I have a better idea. Share the good news with the lost. Tell someone what someone else told you. Can I get an amen? amen? The happiest people in this church are soul winners. I said the happy, you can tell right now. Some of you look like Presbyterians. The happiest people in this church are soul winners. Because when you share the goodness of God with those who are in darkness, I'm telling you, when they get saved, it's like you get a little bit of that save salvation too. You, you, you get something as well. Amen. So if you're not happy with where you are in the Lord, get busy and tell someone. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus has commissioned us, all of us, to evangelize the world. I just read to you what he said. So if somebody questions you, and this might happen in Nagaland, somebody questions you, what right do you have to preach the gospel? You can tell them, the head of the church has authorized me to do so. Are you listening to me? The head of the church has authorized me to do this. In fact, he's authorized you too, so you better get busy. The Passion Translation says, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Tell everybody everywhere. Oh, I have a burden for my community. I have a burden for my tribe. That's wonderful, but don't be blind to everybody who's not part of your tribe and not part of your community because Jesus died for them too. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. Amen? Men are not saved by Christ's death and resurrection alone. They must hear and believe the gospel. And that means it must be preached God does not preach the gospel. Angels do not preach the gospel. We know demons don't preach the gospel. That task falls to us and to us alone, and there is no plan B. If we fail, this generation will be lost. And did you know that Christianity is just one generation from extinction? So we have a, we have a responsibility Amen. Praise the Lord. And salvation is the most important thing. It's more important than the economy. It's more important than politics. It's more important than anything because it has eternal consequences. If you don't believe that, then when I give the altar call later, you respond because you're not saved. That is the most important thing. There's nothing more important than that. Amen? I know it's easy to get distracted and think your boyfriend is the most important thing. No, the salvation is the most important thing. 
I know you think your wedding plans are the most important thing. No, salvation is the most important thing. Don't lose your salvation during the wedding plans. Salvation is the most important thing. So that means preaching the gospel is the most important thing you can do. You want to do something significant with your life? You don't have to climb Mount Everest. Preach the gospel. That's the most important thing you could ever do. Glory to God. Amen. The Greek word for preach in this verse is keruso, something like that, keruso. And it means to um, herald, herald like a town crier. That's what it means. Of course, before the days of, you know, printing and mass communication, news was spread abroad from place to place, typically by an official messenger who entered into the public square or the marketplace and made an announcement. Maybe, you know, hear ye, hear ye. You know, thus it is declared. You know, maybe in, you know, 18th, 19th century, you know, ringing a bell or posting also some declaration, some edict like that. So that's the idea. Preach. Herald, like a town crier. Somebody needs to go back to their village and say, you know, figuratively speaking, hear ye, hear ye. Amen. So last year, during the lockdown, some of you are not getting in the spirit of this, but that's fine. I believe the Holy Ghost brought you here. Some, you know, last year during the lockdowns, you know, the dark days of the 20th, 20th. And uh, so, you know, in our colony, in our region, probably where you are too, at night, sometimes we would hear these announcements broadcast, you know, uh, from like the government or the police or something like that. And evidently somebody, you know, some representative was, it sounded like they were driving around maybe in an auto rickshaw or maybe some gypsy or something. And with a little microphone and some kind of a speaker box, they were just blaring all this thing, telling us what's closed today and what's going to be open, you know, hopefully one day before you die and all this kind of stuff like that, you know. So that's what they were doing. They were, they were broadcasting. They were heralding the message. Well, Matthew 10, 27 says the same thing. In the New Living Translation, Jesus said, what I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. What I whisper in your ear, shout it from the housetops for all to hear. I wonder if there's anybody here that's just stirred up enough to just stand on the top veranda of their building and just shout out, Jesus is alive! (laughs) Someone said, that's kind of crazy. God uses crazy people. He doesn't use smart people like you. He uses crazy people. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. A man once criticized D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, you know, famous evangelist, late 1800s. Criticized D.L. Moody for the way he evangelized. Didn't like it. So Moody asked the man, well, how do you win the lost to Christ? And the man sheepishly, sheepishly confessed that he didn't. So Moody said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. <laughs> I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. Amen? You know, um, you may be a little confused because we're seated like in these uh, elevated style of chairs, you know, of course, and then the balcony. You may think that I'm the team, and you're just the audience in the arena, but you are confused. I'm the coach, and you're the team. This is not the game. This is the team meeting. When this meeting ends, you go out the door, and then the game begins. Uh, this, not, this evening, what time does the service start? It starts when you walk out that door. Is anybody here today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, you angelion, you angelion, I think, actually, is the Greek word for gospel, and it means good news, you know that, or glad tidings. Now, we're often hesitant to share bad news with others. Have you ever had to do that, you know? Have you ever been the one to call someone, a friend or relative, to inform them that their loved one has passed away, 
you know, can someone else do that? No, you have to do it. I remember years ago, my best friend died and another friend of ours, uh, you know, called me one day while I was working. And uh, I always thought she did it in a real nice way. But, you know, you could tell she was hesitant on the phone. She said, well, I have some bad news to tell you. What? And she reluctantly, you know, let me know. So people don't want to be the one who are messengers of bad news. But we should be eager to tell good news. Right? When something good happens to people, they don't, they're not ashamed. I mean, usually they're not. Right? I mean, I've seen, you know, over the years, like maybe some young lady, I've had this happen at least twice, maybe more than that. Young lady, she walks right up to me and she puts her hand out like that and says, huh? And I'm like, huh? She had an engagement ring on her finger and I didn't notice it at first. She wants me to know, looky here, I'm a fisher of men too. (laughs) I'm getting married in the morning, you know? So she's got good news, right? When somebody has a baby, I mean, isn't that good news? Uh, husband and wife have a, have a baby? Do they, do, they, do they hang their heads in shame? Oh, we're so embarrassed. Well, they shouldn't. I mean, if it's all upright, they shouldn't be, right? That's good news, right? If I'm preaching good news, go ahead and smile right now. Don't make me come down there. I'll definitely do that. Amen? Glory to God. So this is the best news. There's no news better. There's, there's no news better. But the gospel is only good news to those who hear it. Amen? So what is the gospel? We definitely don't want to go into all the world only to tell people the wrong thing. There are some so-called Christians who should stay home. Hmm? Over the years, the church has been guilty of giving misinformation concerning salvation. You see, the good news is not fake news. We need to make sure the message we give to people is correct because that is absolutely important. The wrong information can damn a man's soul to hell. It's so important that we not only go and we not only preach, but that we preach the right thing. Amen? So the gospel is not, I repeat, the gospel is not try harder to live better. Clean up your act. Straighten up and fly right. That's not the gospel. If we could save ourselves, then we don't need Christ. If we can clean up ourselves, then Christ died for nothing. That's not the gospel message. You know, some people think the gospel is message is get a haircut, get a job. Quit smoking. I have been, I have been to homes in years gone by, not, I don't know about now, but homes, and here's some, you know, uh, some mother, and she says, oh, pray for my son. You know, he doesn't have a job. He roams here and there. I think he's smoking. I think he's doing drugs. And, I, and, I, and after I talked with the mother for a while, I discerned that she herself is not saved. She just wants him to look good in the eyes of men. Mother, there are many men in hell today who had good jobs and never smoked cigarettes. God is interested in a whole lot more than that. He wants them to have life eternal. He wants them to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He wants them to be a temple of God. He wants them to be reconciled and in right standing with himself. He's not interested in them just looking good in the eyes of your friends or society. He wants them to be right with God. Amen. Amen. The gospel is not punish yourself for wrongdoing. There, there are people, you know, that they, 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 they you know, like they'll fast. They, they think I've got to fast because, you know, I, I sinned. I got to fast. I got to starve my body. I did something really bad, so I'm just not going to eat any ice cream for two weeks. Uh, you know, or, 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 or I, I, I really messed up, so I'm going to sit in the corner of the balcony and, and just kind of hang my head. And, and they're trying to punish themselves. Or I'm going to lie, you know, flat on the, on the floor and just weep and wail and moan and groan. And, but you're not forgiven because you punish yourself. You're not forgiven because you have suffered. 
Skipping a meal pays for nothing. You're forgiven because someone else suffered for you and the price for your forgiveness was not the back seat in the balcony. It was the cross of Calvary. Woo! So you cannot and you should not even try to pay God for your sins. You can't do that. You should humbly receive what Jesus has done for you. The Bible teaches repentance, not doing penance. I'm going to make a payment. You can't. That's not the gospel. That's dead religion. The gospel is also not this. Listen carefully. The gospel is not God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Is that true? Yeah. Is that the gospel? No. You can't be saved if that's all you know. Walking up to some guy in the train station, God loves you, has a plan for your life. A lot of times the problem is not that what we're saying is wrong, it's just incomplete. Nobody's gonna get saved with that. Nobody in the book of Acts, nobody in the New Testament preached that. There's a whole lot more. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then again, when we see, I've seen this happen typically, when a concerned brother, you know, uh, feeds the hungry and, and, and uplifts the downtrodden. Some others in their church will say, ah, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel looks like. Well, while acts of charity is a part of the Christian life, that's not the gospel. No, it's not. That may be the love of Christ in demonstration, and that's good. Don't misunderstand me. But nobody's going to get saved just because of that. Yes, should we, should we give money to the poor? Sure. Should we help those in need? Sure. But if that's all you do, you haven't done much. Do you think on the day of judgment, when those people are judged for their sin and thrown into the lake of fire, do you think they'll turn to you and say, and thanks for the blanket? Hmm? Thanks for the bowl of soup. Really appreciate that now. Do you think that's what they're going to say? No, I'll tell you what they're going to say. They're going to curse you to your face. And they're going to say, you knew this would happen to me, and you didn't tell me. Oh, you're trying to heap condemnation on us. If you feel uncomfortable now, just wait till that day. When ain't nowhere to hide. So thank God we can be arrested today. Our attention can be... Uh, captured today, and we can get more serious about this. Amen? Praise the Lord. So what is the gospel? The message that we proclaim, when I say proclaim, it can just be sharing with a friend, a family member, talking to someone, a stranger on the bus, whoever we converse with that needs Jesus. The message we proclaim must include at least three things. These three things. I'm sure it can include many, many more things, but it, it would have to include these things to be considered the gospel. Number one. Number one, God is holy and righteous. And because he is a just God, and by the way, he is a just God. You should be thankful that he's not an unjust God. Because he is a just God, he must punish sin. He has no choice. I said he has no choice. See, God can do anything except sin. That's the one thing he can't do. And if he was to not judge sin, then he would sin. And if he sinned, he would become a fallen being. He can't do that. He won't do that. And furthermore, all men have sinned. All of us deserve God's wrath. So the first point is, this is man's need, right? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The problem is man himself. It's not his environment. It's not his education. It's not his socioeconomic background. It's his spiritual condition. All men are spiritually dead. They are separated from God, and they have the nature of sin. That's the problem with man. 
And you know what? You can get irritated and angry at everybody. You know, people in the world can do that. And, you know, they, and they can move away from their family, move away from their friends, move away from all humanity, live by themselves like a monk in a cave somewhere. But you can't separate yourself from yourself. And you are the problem. When I say you, I don't mean you that are here tonight, but I mean man in general. You are the problem. Amen? Praise the Lord. So that's number one. Number two. Number two, to spare man. To spare him of the eternal retribution for sin and to reconcile man to God. The Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised again to give us new life. This is God's solution to man's problem. This is God's solution. Then number three, whoever believes in Jesus and receives him as Lord will have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a home in heaven. This is our response. You must have all three points, all three components. God is holy and just. Man is not. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Number three, if we receive him as Savior and Lord, will be forgiven, restored, reconciled, have eternal life now, and a home in heaven after this life. Amen? So you know, and, and, and you know this, but I think maybe it's good to codify it, make it very clear. John 3.16 summarizes it very well. It'd be interesting. You could do this as a Bible study. Go through the New Testament and try to find a few verses or passages of Scripture that say these three points, maybe in different words, and you'll find it all over the New Testament. For example, like I said, John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The world doesn't know that. You know it. You kind of a little bit yawned when I started to read John 3, 16. You, 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 some of you were you know, saying the words with me, but they don't know it. In 2009, the year 2009, in America, there was a college football, that is to say American-style football, like, more like rugby, American football national championship. And from the University of Florida, one of the players, one of the main players named Tim Tebow, painted John 3.16 underneath each of his eyes during the game, for the game. The game was nationally televised. And as a result of that one thing, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. I don't need to Google John 3.16. You need to Google John 3.16? They don't know what that is. That one act could have touched could have touched millions and millions and millions of people. Do we have any people like that here today? When I was a, when I was a little younger than I am now, I went to Eastern Europe with a team of people, and part of the time we were in uh, what was then called Yugoslavia, right? So before I went... Um, they, they spoke in the part of where we went. They spoke a language called Serbo-Croatian at that time, Zagreb and places like that. And so I, I found out somehow, I don't even remember, uh, and, and uh, in, that, in their language, Isus moj bog, Jesus my Lord. Isus moj bog. And I, this is a communist country. And I put it on a T-shirt. I had a guy in a, in a shopping mall put it on a T-shirt for me. And so when I got to Yugoslavia, I wore my Isus moj bog, or it's actually Jesus my God, but you know, on my T-shirt, walking through communist Yugoslavia. You know, they, they don't allow preaching openly and all that kind of stuff. And everywhere I went, people would say, Isus moj bog, Isus moj bog. You know, it was, like, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was, like, it was like a bright light for them. It's just a T-shirt. But, they, but they're not seeing things like that. Amen. Be inspired. Be inspired. If life is a little bit dull, 
It's because you're sitting on the sidelines and it's time to get in the game. Amen? Now, what is the gospel? The following verses that I'm going to read to you, I want you to jot down the reference. I I want to encourage you to to note down the reference because you'll probably forget if you don't do it. The following verses are sometimes referred to as the Roman road. The Roman road. So here's the first verse. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's part number one. All have sinned, right? So when people say, oh, you're just one of those goody, goody Christians, Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All means me, you, your mother, everybody, your father, we've all sinned. Amen? Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's part two. Hallelujah. Romans 5.8. Then the next verse, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when people say, well, I tried that. I tried to be a Christian. Well, you don't try. It's not something you purchase. It's not something you attain to after much effort. It's the free gift of God is eternal life. I mean, that's such a game changer for a lot of people. You think everybody knows it. No, they don't. They do not. They do not know that. They're like looking at you like, oh, that can't be true. Show them in the Bible. The free gift of God is eternal life. Woo. Well, how do I get that? Romans 10.9. This is part number three. Romans 10.9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What if somebody came up to you tonight, later this evening, and said, I want to be saved? What would, you, what would you answer? Would you say, just get on your knees and cry out to God and say, oh, Jesus, please help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Ah! No, that's how you get people confused. How, what would you say if they say, I want to be Christian. I want to be born again. I want to go to heaven. What would you say? Um, well, uh, come this Sunday morning. No, no, no. What would you say? Well, you could say this. You could say Romans 10, 9. If you don't know that verse, then you need to know that verse. <laughs> Let me introduce you to your new best friend, Romans 10, 9. Amen? If you, have, if you haven't memorized that verse, go ahead and memorize it. If somebody wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning out of a sound, dead sleep and says, how do I become a Christian? You don't want to go, oh, where's my notebook? No, you want to say Romans 10, 9. <laughs> now, a couple more verses. Romans 5, 1. These are all in Rome. Uh, these are all in the book of Romans, rather. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we have? So now this is showing the effect of receiving Christ. This is, this is the results. We have peace with God. Woo! That's wonderful. So that means if we don't believe the gospel, we don't have peace with God. We don't have peace with God. There's not, there's not some other kind of peace that you can also get, you know, if you visit Jerusalem three times. No, no. You have to believe the gospel. Amen. And then lastly, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Woo! Come on, I could just dance around the whole sanctuary just reading that verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could say to those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? Or to those who have faith in Christ Jesus. It means the same thing, basically. Oh, that's good news. There's no condemnation. So memorize these verses. Underline them in your Bible. So if you want to share with somebody, you can just easily point to those verses and say, well, read this. This is what God's... They say, is that something they taught you at that uh, Faith of Spirit Church? No, you can say, no, no. This is what the Bible says. This is God's Word. This is not an American Bible. This is just the Bible Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. Too quiet for me, but I'm going to keep preaching. We have been tasked with leading the men and women of our generation to Christ, young and old. 
But God would not give us an assignment without also providing the tools needed to get the job done. God never gives you an assignment without also providing the tools to get the job done. Amen? Hallelujah. So, let's take a look inside of our spiritual toolbox. What do we have? All right. First, and I've, repeat, I've mentioned this already. I just got to mentioning this, but we'll look at it from a different angle. First, we have the gospel itself. Obviously, we have the gospel itself. But let me read another verse to you. 1 Corinthians 1.18. While you're turning there, let me just say this to you. Let me say this to you. Come down a little closer. Years ago, uh, 1980, like four, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I, I was leading a little home meeting. And they were like, like you guys. Well, you're actually maybe older than me in those days. But, uh, but uh, you know, we were all like in our 20s or, you know, something like that. Some of them were in their 30s. And so I was leading a little home meeting, right? And it was our Tuesday night meeting. And we have been doing this for several years now. We come, we sing, you know, it's good and everything. We have a Bible study, we pray, we have refreshments, we go home. You know, it's nice, it's good, we're all blessed. And, you know, we're learning things, it's a good thing. But it's my turn to lead it, okay? So I came and I began to share about evangelism, sharing Christ with others. You know, and they're all just kind of sitting there, kind of glazed over. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. You know, I've heard, I know this already, I'm smart, you know, I've been in church all my life. You know, so, so they're just kind of sitting there, kind of just sort of like half bored. And then I got through sharing my message and I said, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're all going to get in our vehicles and we're going to drive tonight itself to the mall. And we're going to break up into pairs and we're going to share the gospel with other people who are shopping tonight in that mall. Some of them woke up for the first time that night. Now we, uh, some of them got like real, uh, that's not my calling. And you know, uh, uh, I have things to do. uh, See, it's amazing. It's just theory until you put it into practice. And then suddenly it becomes life. Why are, why are you here tonight? I'll tell you why you're here tonight. Because God is sending you. You don't have to go across the world, but you may have to go across the street. God is sending you, you, some of you especially, you have sat on that church bench long enough. You want to hear another ear-tickling, spine-tingling, you know, uh, sermon? Nah, 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 nah. You've heard enough sermons. It's time for you to be more than a consumer of ministry. It's time for you to be a contributor to the Great Commission and share this good news with somebody in your family, somebody among your friends, somebody among your colleagues, somebody in your village, somebody in in your colony, somebody that you know needs the Lord, somebody you don't know but you're going to meet, needs the Lord. God does not hold John Routon responsible for winning the lost in Nagaland. He holds the believers in Nagaland responsible for leading the lost to Christ in Nagaland. Come on now. Come on now. Your muted response sort of irritates the dickens out of me. You better brighten up a little bit. Are you listening to me? We could maybe take a break right now. Let's all go out in the street and share the gospel. Don't come back till you've shared at least with one person. Of course, some of you, we'd never see you again. That would be the end of it. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, but to us, rather, who are being saved, it is the power of God. So for those who believe it, the gospel is God's power. You want to do something powerful? You want to do something anointed? Huh? You want to do something where God is really in it? He's really working? Well, you don't have to swing from the LED lights in the sanctuary. You don't have to do cartwheels across the platform. The most powerful thing you can do is to tell somebody, the simple story of the cross. The word of the cross means the story or the message of the cross. 
Hallelujah. That's the most powerful thing you'll ever do. Because it is the power of God to save. And that's why the devil hinders us. That's why the devil is trying to stop us. You know, uh, uh, in my house, um, I don't watch a lot of TV these days. There's, uh, uh, in India especially, there's, there's not, you know, only a few English things, whatever. But uh, at any rate, uh, my, my TV has a remote. You know, I'm sure you do too, right? So I can change channels. But there's also a button that says mute, and it, it goes silent. And there's little green letters on the screen that says mute. So the guy's going, but it, there's no sound, just a mute. The devil has had his hand on your remote for too long. And he has the mute de- button depressed. Grab it, grab it and go. And while you're at it, go ahead and crank up the volume a little bit. Yes. Hallelujah. Come on, people in the world are quite vocal about their beliefs. They're quite vocal, they're not ashamed. All kinds of junk and garbage and stuff that's just really wrong. And they're, they, you know, they, they're just quite vocal about it. You know, we got people, you know, I don't, you know, not in Nagaland. I hope that day doesn't come. But, we, you know, in some places in other, other parts of the world, you know, a bunch of homosexuals marching down the street, you know, kissing each other and waving rainbow flags. And they, they don't care. They're just quite bold in their sin. Meanwhile, we're, we're down here in the church, you know. Somebody says, are you a Christian? Me. Come on. Grab the remote out of the devil's hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. When Peter and the other apostles preached in the streets of Jerusalem to the people there, Acts 2.37 says this. Acts 2.37 Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Those people that he was preaching to, they were hard-hearted people. (laughs) They were religious fanatics. The Jews, the Pharisees, especially in Jesus' day, in the first century AD, they were like Jewish Taliban. They're hardcore fanatic people. They would kill you if you didn't wash your hands the right way. I mean, they are hardcore fanatics. They just got through killing Christ and executing him by crucifixion. And Peter boldly is preaching to them. And he even says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. He pointed his finger, I'm sure. The Bible doesn't say that, but I'm just dead sure. He looked right them in the eyes, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. And they were cut to the heart. God's word can penetrate beyond the facade of pseudo-intellectualism, past the veneer of self-righteousness. It will reach to the very core of a man's being and touch him like nothing else can. We don't even have to win debates. We simply use the sword of the Spirit, the simple message of the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not saved because some super brainiac theologian who knew every language in the world and, you know, knew every Greek and Hebrew word, you know, gave me some long discourse on on theology. It's because a dear woman in a Sunday school class just told me Jesus died for you and if you receive him, you'll go to heaven. And it just touched my heart. Isn't that why you're here too? Something like that? Or maybe you're not here. Are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What is in our toolbox? 1 Peter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So here's a question. Are you ready? 
I said, are you ready? Because he said, be ready. Someone asked Smith Wigglesworth before one church service, Brother Smith, are you ready? He said, I'm ever ready. You see, oftentimes when that person asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, it's not when you expected it. It's not when it was convenient. It's not when you had just finished this nice Bible study on personal evangelism and you had all your notes right there at your fingertips. It happens at some odd hour, some time when you're busy with some other thing. So you gotta get ready tonight. Amen? So what that means is, besides the simple message of the gospel, which everybody should do, there's more. We can also do this. We can give a reasonable and compelling explanation for why we believe. If somebody says to you, well, why are you a Christian? Saying, well, I'm from Nagaland, that's not a very compelling reason. Because they're going to say, well, I'm not from Nagaland. And you'll say, oh. Why are you a Christian? Well, my parents were Christians. That's not a very, that's not a very persuasive argument. They'll say, well, my parents weren't Christians. Oh. See, why? You say, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, amen, hallelujah. Okay, why? Uh, I don't know. Well, you know, when the conversation's over, you may be converted. <laughs> Why? You know, people see you, and, and, and hopefully, you know, in college, they see you, and, and you're a, you live a clean life, you know, and, and, and you're, you're a positive, cheerful person. And they see that. And, and, and they won't exactly say, we want to know the reason for the hope that is in you. They're going to say, you're different. And what are you going to say? I am? No, no. Give, they're, they're, they're opening the door. They're opening the door. You can tell them. That's why. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Now, the Greek word translated defense is apologia. It doesn't mean that we're apologizing. It sounds like that. But the Greek word apologia means a convincing argument. In the book of Acts, this is so interesting. In the book of Acts... Paul presented the case for Christ the way a lawyer would argue his case before a jury. He didn't just say, believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. Okay, next, go to the next town. No, no, he, he apologia, he was giving a compelling argument of the case for Christ. When he was with the Jews, he brought forth scriptural proof because they believed in God's word. For example, and there are many verses like this, Acts 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. How did he reason and persuade them? Well, he showed them from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was foretold by the prophets and he fulfilled all of the predictions that were made of old. So when you talk to people, maybe from Northeast India, you know, at least this part, you know, and they, they, have a, they have a Christian background, well, that's very simple. Well, you can show them this is what the Bible says. Amen? However, when Paul was among Gentiles, for example, in Athens, he appealed to sound logic. Some people think Christianity is illogical. They just think, oh, it's a matter of faith. And what they mean by that is it's all a bunch of nonsense, but it's always good to believe a little nonsense. No, 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 no. There's nothing more reasonable than the gospel of Christ. It just seems foolish to those who are lost. It's higher thinking than our own thinking. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. Hallelujah. So in Athens, Paul persuasively argued just based on common sense, that the creator cannot be a part of his creation. He cannot be something that we have made with our own hands. I mean, they got idols galore. They got, you know, this is like, where did, where did Hinduism come from? It came from the Greeks. It came from the Greeks. They're all, they got idols everywhere. All these gods and goddesses, that's where it came from. And he's arguing persuasively that's not even logical doesn't even make sense. Not only that, 
It's very interesting. Go read Acts 17. He even quoted from certain Greek poets. He's not quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting from certain Greek philosophers and Greek poets, based, two of them, Epimendes and Erastus. And the statements he gave, like we sometimes you know, think about it in him, we live and move and have our being. That's, that's not from like Isaiah or something. That's from Epimendes, a Greek, philosopher, a Greek poet. They know that. And basically what that verse of poem agrees with the scripture, it basically says God created us. That's what it's basically saying. And he's saying, that's right. That's right. Hallelujah. So Paul knew his audience. And he was very persuasive. So you would be wise to know who you're speaking to as well. I'm almost, I'm almost making my last turn. Not quite, but I'm almost there. In addition, we have another very powerful tool. Your own testimony. Your own testimony. Woo. People may argue over points of theology, but it's difficult to dispute a man's personal experience. So Paul not only argued the case for Christ based on the scripture, based on just, just sound reasoning, he shared his own personal testimony. So before an angry mob that wanted to tear him apart, he, he shared what happened on the road to Damascus. You know, before King Agrippa, he shared his story. So uh, a testimony can be a very persuasive tool if your testimony is skillfully constructed or thoughtfully put together. Some people, Christians, they're not really prepared and they share their testimony and it's not very helpful. It's not very effective. Hmm? So a good testimony will explain, just like our three points, your condition before Christ. Number two, how you received Christ. Number three, what was the effect? How did Christ change your life? Amen? Friends, just a good point. You need to know this. Don't just stare at the wall because I'm telling you, life is coming at you. You don't have to learn from me. Life will teach you. But it's a whole lot easier if you learn from me. It's coming. I promise you it's coming. People are going to ask you, why are you a Christian? And if you're caught flat-footed, oh, duh, you're going to look foolish. Listen to what I'm saying now. People are going to say, I want, I want Jesus. You be prepared to answer them. And they're going to be prepared to answer you. They're going to be prepared to say, well, what about this? What about that? And you can't just say, oh, shundai, untie my bow tie. You better, you better have a persuasive answer, a reasonable answer to give them. Peter said, be ready. Amen? So, so your testimony is a very powerful tool. Your testimony does not have to be some epic drama. Remove all the unnecessary, superfluous details. It was 1963. A little house on Keeler Lane in Virginia Beach, Virginia. That's where I first saw the light of day. Yes, my mother was under... No, that has nothing to do with anything. Just, you know, we're not writing an autobiography here today. We, we want to know what did Jesus do. That's, keep it real short and simple and to the point. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you should never embellish your testimony. If you got saved in covenant, kids, don't tell people, I was a degenerate in the mafia, drug dealer, I had a pact with the devil. But then at age three, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Don't, don't exaggerate. It, you, don't have to, you don't have to try to spice it up to make it more impressive. How did you come to the Lord? Well, there was an angel from heaven. Did that really happen? Well, not exactly. No, no, don't, don't do that. Amen? The most convincing stories, and I mean true stories, your testimony, the most convincing stories are real and relatable. It's credible, and the listener can relate to it. He can, he can see himself in your story. And remember this, you're not the hero of the story Jesus is. It's not, look what I've done, it's look what the Lord has done. And there I was on my knees, and I was just storming the gates of heaven, and I snatched salvation out of the hand of God. No, 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 no. What on earth? <laughs> And the Lord even thanked me for getting saved. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't do that. 
An acceptable testimony should line up with Scripture. Any experience that you supposedly have that contradicts the Bible leads to confusion. If you're confused about whether you're saved or not, or you're confused how you got saved, then clear up the confusion before you go out there and start confusing everybody else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Maybe you need to sit in covenant kids for a little while longer before you go out there. Amen. Emphasize the benefits of salvation, not the hardships and adversity you face as a Christian. Don't begin your testimony this way. It's been a life of tests and trials. <laughs> oh, yippee. Uh, I got enough problems. I don't need any more problems. I think I'll just stay where I am. Amen. Praise the Lord. The main point of the story is to show the listener that he should follow your example and get saved as you have gotten saved. If you're going to knock on somebody's door, come with a smile on your face. Don't look like you're constipated. Hello? Um, we're here to tell you about Jesus. No, no, I got enough problems. I don't need any more problems. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> If you gotta, if you got to go in your prayer closet, and you should go in your prayer closet until you get your bad attitude, don't go evangelizing when you're mad at your wife. All right, are you going to get saved or not? <laughs> you know, get, get your attitude right. Get, get it all sorted out before you start going out there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So instead of, instead of saying in your testimony, well, I received Christ. I got born again. And then I backslid for three years. And I was in the world. I was in sin. And then I came back to the Lord. And I did pretty good for about two weeks. And then I backslid again. And then I was really lost, you know. I was wandering there. Then I came back again. And now I'm still backslid. Now, that's not a very good testimony. Amen. You, you would do better maybe to end your testimony this way. Something like, and I received Jesus as my Lord. And I've had some ups and downs in life. It hasn't always been a bed of roses but through it all, Christ has been with me. Okay, that's a, I, can, I can accept that. That's a good way to, 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 to testify. Don't share a testimony that leaves the listener in doubt about your experience. <laughs> a friend of mine attended an evangelist, forgive me for saying this, but you'll get the idea. A friend of mine uh, attended an evangelistic crusade in Canada. Pastor friend of mine. And uh, he said that during the crusade, there was a lot of folks in the meeting who were like Native Americans, Red Indians, you might say, you know, from, 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 from North America, you know. So they're there, and, you know, and, and, you know he's pre the evangelist is preaching to them. So he called people to testify in the meeting. And one, one fellow got up and he testified. And his testimony was something like this. Before I knew the Lord, I used to drink, gamble, take drugs, and fornicate. But now I have the Lord, and I no longer drink, I no longer gamble, and I no longer take drugs. <laughs> and everybody's going, praise the Lord. <laughs> don't, don't confuse people by your testimony. Okay, I'm coming around the last turn. <laughs> That's another point. If you're having a meeting, you might want to screen the testimonies before you give the guy the microphone. <laughs> another tool we have, the greatest of all, the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this alone. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. John 15, 26, 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's the spirit of God that leads men to Christ. He brings conviction of sin. He opens the heart to see the truth. He reveals Christ. And Jesus said in John 6, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's the Holy Spirit. God, the Father uses the Holy Spirit to draw men to Christ. The Greek word from, for draw also means to, in, to inwardly 
compel, or even drag them. It's interesting, even drag them. Some sinners are not even sure why they responded to the gospel. They had no intention of getting saved when they attended that meeting or, or listened to that person share, but they found themselves responding. Why? Well, that was the Holy Spirit dealing with them. They didn't even realize it. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit just goes everywhere testifying and we just stay home and play computer games? No. He Notice Jesus said in verse 26, whom I will send to you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom I will send to you. See, he's not just out there somewhere. He's in you. So when you go, he goes with you. Praise the Lord. He's not working, doing something apart from you. He's doing something with you. He's our helper. That's good news. And he will help you fulfill the plan of God for your life. He will help you to accomplish the will of God. Amen? When, uh, when I was, again, I told you the story about the, 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 the home meeting. A little bit before that time, uh, we, we went as a group of young people street witnessing for the first time, for me the first time, I should say. And uh, I, was, I was extremely nervous. I was extremely uncomfortable. You know, never, I was you know, Presbyterian boy, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and now I'm on the street sh- you know, sharing the gospel with strangers. I mean, my, my Presbyterian friends would pass out. They'd think I'm, I've gone fanatical. And uh, <laughs> so I was so nervous. I was in my little vehicle uh, praying before we went out. And I said, oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. I, I need your help. I'm so nervous. I'm so afraid. And so, so I, I was paired up with an older brother. And the two of us, along, we went out pair by pair, two by two. Two of us were walking down this beachside boardwalk. And there's all these tourists, you know, strangers to me. And something unusual happened. God highlighted the faces of people that he wanted me to talk to. I, I, I. I had no idea something like this would happen. But as I looked across a crowd of people, I would just, I don't know how to explain it, except their face would seem to be somewhat a little bit illuminated. Out of a crowd of thousands of people, I would just see that person's face. And some, I would just know that's the one. And so when we talked to the ones whose face was highlighted, I told my f- companion, my friend, which one to talk to. They either always got saved or we found out they were already Christian, but they were backslidden and they need to be restored. You know, out of fellowship is what I mean. It was amazing. The Holy Spirit will help you. Smith Wigglesworth, most of the time we think about miracles, you know, that type of thing, but he, above all things, was a soul winner. Some people, you know, we, sometimes we want to have the miracles of Wigglesworth, but we're, we don't have the personal evangelism that Wigglesworth had. In the early days of his ministry especially, he made it a point to lead someone to Christ every day. That's wonderful. But he prayed, Holy Spirit, Lord, by your Spirit, show me Show me to whom shall I share? Who, who do I talk to? Who needs this message most urgently today? Who's at the precipice of eternity and needs to hear it? And he was one day at a, at a busy street corner, and he didn't have the signal. He didn't have the green light from the Lord. And he's waiting and waiting, and it's getting you know, a little bit dark now. It's time to go home. And Lord, I, I, have, to, I have to go home who is it? Who is it? He's, he's almost ready to quit, getting a little restless. And here came a man, this is many years ago, here came a man with, on a horse-drawn carriage, you see. And the Holy Spirit said, he's the one. He's the one. So he ran, like Philip in the book of Acts, he ran and joined himself to the man's chariot. He jumped in the, in the seat next to the man on the horse-drawn carriage and began sharing the gospel. And the man was very rude. And the man rebuked him and told him, go pick on somebody else. And, you know, why did you choose me? And I don't want to hear this. And, you know, very uncooperative, very resistant. But Wigglesworth was persistent as well. You have to be persistent, you know. And uh, you have to have a, a, a stronger exterior. And so eventually the word of God pierced his heart. And he began to break down and cry and weep. And, and it touched him, you know. And, and, he, and there in the, in the carriage, he accepted Christ as his Savior. I think it was like the next day, perhaps, the next day or the day after, I'm not sure, Wigglesworth's wife said to him, have you been preaching to people? And he says, I do it every day. And she said, Brother Zama Zama just died yesterday. And when I attended the funeral today, his wife told me that when he came home from work yesterday, his face was just beaming. And he says he got saved 
And he described how a young man jumped in his uh, carriage and began to share the gospel with him. And he was very nasty to the man, but he was persistent. And he says, it touched my heart and I, and I gave my life to Christ. And the man died the next day. God knows. God knows those who need to hear that message tonight. If you have a prompting, call this person. Then don't delay. Don't say, yeah, I'll do it when I, when I get a better, a more convenient time. There may not be a better time than right now. The Holy Spirit is our helper. If we will be led by the Spirit, we will be fruitful. Hallelujah. Can you stand with me to your feet?